What's going on, everyone? Welcome to this edition of the Finer Life Show. I'm your host, Greg Hush Williams. On this edition of the Finer Life Show, we're going to talk to retired General Larry Spencer. He served as the Vice Chief of Staff for the United States Air Force, and he's the author of the book, Dark Horse. Take a listen. I had an afro like you wouldn't believe. Now, I wish I could grow one now, but I, those days are long gone. Um, but I was over in the mall and I bought, uh, this is a mall in Maryland, and I bought a purple jumpsuit uh, and a, a some high platform shoes to match. And, and so I was walking through the mall and there was an Air Force recruiter's office there. And I, I wasn't thinking about joining the Air Force. I was just looking at the airplane pictures. Uh, and then the guy walked out. Uh, he was a, a staff sergeant a recruiter and invited me in and we got to talking and <laughs> now I don't, you know, what he did is not illegal, but he, he was a pretty fast talker. And he essentially told me, uh, he said, look, uh, I know you want to play football, but so here's what we'll do. You enlist now, you get through basic training, you then apply for the Air Force Academy and you go and play football. I said, hey, sounds good to me. Uh, of course, that was technically possible, but certainly not practical. Um, and so I, I joined on the spot. They had, my parents didn't know anything about it. Um, uh, my friends didn't know anything about it. And so I, I had to go home and tell my parents I joined the Air Force. And that, and that it was that sort of inexplicable. It was unplanned. Uh, I had no, uh, you know, no plans at all. But it, it, it happened. I'm glad you can call it fate. I'm glad it happened. And I ended up really enjoying it. Now... I'm just trying to envision the pit session with 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 your purple jumpsuit. <laughs> He's like, "Listen, that's a great color. Would you like to play on the Air Force football team? We play against Army and Navy." Right. So you join the Air Force, and fast forward, you know, you go from enlisted to officer, and let's jump fast forward. Now you you joined in the seventies. Talk about the era of service pre 9-11, 70s, 80s, 90s? Yeah, it was interesting. I, and, I, and I feel fortunate to have uh, been able to span all of those uh, those decades because, yeah, the 70s uh, was pretty tough. Again, tail end of Vietnam, coming out of Vietnam, a lot of folks getting out of the military, um, still sort of a lot of civil rights movement, uh, anti-Vietnam stuff going on. So military life was difficult uh, because they were just such a, still sort of an anti-military vibe going on. Um, but then as we got away from Vietnam, things picked up the, the and, and again, looking back on it, I don't think Americans ever did not respect the military. It was just the Vietnam War caused such turmoil uh, it politically and socially that it was, the military just kind of got dragged into it. But so I got through my enlisted years and, uh, I was, I, I started taking college courses, uh, completed my degree and went to officer's training school. And so literally in, in 1980 is when I got commissioned uh, as second lieutenant. Uh, and uh, I loved it. Uh, again, I, I was planning to actually get out of the Air Force after four years. Uh, but once I got my degree, uh, applied for officer's training school and got commissioned, I said, well, I'll give it a shot and see what happens. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So what was the vibe of serving in the Air Force throughout the throughout the 80s? I, I'm not going to give away my youth, but I was born in the 80s. How was it? 
What, what did great. y'all do? What, what was yeah. in duty stations? Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, so I had 24 moves over my uh, career. So my, my initial assignment was down at Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia uh, at an uh, Air Force Logistics Center. Uh, where they, it's a huge depot where they do maintenance and repair, major maintenance and repair on airplanes, on big airplanes. Uh, and so it was great. Uh, I loved it. Um, you know, my family enjoyed it. We enjoyed the moving around. I, I didn't stay there very long, two years. I was off to the Pentagon, which was sort of unusual for a lieutenant to be assigned to the Pentagon. But uh, that was a tough assignment for me because I was, you know, the junior person in the building, I think. And and uh, and I was surrounded by all these colonels and uh, and it was it was interesting. But the, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things was, you know, they didn't care that I was first lieutenant. They gave me as much work as they gave everybody else. So it was really busy. Uh, it was hard on my family because as a first lieutenant living in D.C. area, uh, the closest I could afford to live was down in uh, Woodbridge, Dale City, which is about 25 miles or so south of the Pentagon, right off of 95. And uh, you know, with any traffic at all, you know, D.C. area traffic. I mean, it was an hour and a half, two hour commute every day. So it was tough on the family uh, being so young. I had young kids uh, in elementary school. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there were days where uh, that, that I had this, I spent the night in the Pentagon, if you can imagine, back then in those days, because the Pentagon was very stressful. We, we did, the computers weren't there. Uh, everything was done by hand. We all had typewriters on our desk, if you can believe that. Um, we had, I worked in budget in the Pentagon and we had an entire office that all they did was make charts. So today, you know, you and I can whip up a chart on, on a computer in, in, in 30 seconds. Back then you had to develop the chart, then put it on a machine with little pins on it with acetate and they would just jerk around and make all the charts. And you take that one off and you make another one. And of course, if you made a mistake or someone didn't like the chart, you'd have to go draw it all, all over again. But there was a office full of people in the Pentagon that just that did nothing but make charts. Um, so just keep in mind the automation and the, uh, the, all, all of the tools that we take for granted now, there was no internet, there was no Google, you know, there was n- none of that, uh, no iPhone. Uh, and so it was, it, 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 it's, it seems pretty primitive now, uh, but you know, you do what you have to do. And, and, uh, when I went back on my second tour in the Pentagon, it was a lot nicer because so many of the manual tasks that we had to do had all been automated. Uh, early on in the job, um, we lost an airman in Afghanistan and I had to go up to Dover to do the dignified transfer. I say had to, I mean, I was honored to. Uh, and a dignified transfer is when, when we have a fallen member uh, that, that gets killed in action overseas and they're flown back. They, they're flown back into Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. And when the plane lands, there's a ceremony. Once the back of the plane drops down, the honor guard goes up, um, they get the casket and they literally bring it down off the airplane and, and transfer it to a van that takes it away for processing of the body. Uh, and so, which is why it's called a dignified transfer. Uh, and I got to tell you, that was one of the most uh, difficult and uh, solemn things I've ever been involved with. Goes back to my earlier point that I wish most Americans could see that because they don't. Generally, they don't. Generally, it's for families only. Uh, but that's something that sticks in my mind is uh, of 
something I was honored to do, but uh, it's just something that will always stick with me because that, that's when it's real. You know, the, you know, we, we, we all can do a lot of talking about uh, what we would do and how war should be fought and whether we should get out of Afghanistan or not. And, you know, everybody can prognosticate about that. But when you're standing on the flight line and you've got family members crying, uh, you know, over on the side and, you know, that casket comes off that airplane, it gets pretty real. Um, the, so that was sort of, it wasn't a crowning achievement, but it was certainly something that, uh, that marks that, that tour for me. Uh, but I think some, something that I was really proud of, and it kind of goes back to my, all, actually goes all the way back to my childhood, and that is I wasn't a very good student in school, uh, but the one thing I remember was my teacher, when I was in elementary school, she read us the story, The Ant and the Grasshopper, and it, it was essentially about, it was on Aesop's Fables, and it was essentially about a grasshopper who was lazy, who didn't want to gather any food during the winter. He criticized the ants for doing that. Winter came, the grasshopper was out in the snow with no food, and the, and the, and the ants were in good shape, you know, because they had prepared. I don't know why that stuck with me, uh, but I've been uh, a zealot for saving money uh, and being efficient ever since. Now, my wife would tell you I'm just cheap, but and that's probably true too, but... Uh, but I carry that with me throughout my career, including when I was vice chief of staff. And the timing was such that um, you, you may re recall the term sequestration. It, it was a, uh, a law that our uh, folks, the politicians came up with, the president and, and folks on the Hill, that essentially said if the, if the two sides can't agree on, uh, on a plan or a package to reduce the budget, these arbitrary, capricious cuts are going to go into effect uh, on a certain date, and no one expected that to happen. Everyone understood that you know no sane people would allow that to happen, and, and of course, as divided as we are as a nation, uh, it happened. And so I was sort of given the stick to um, get help get the Air Force through that very difficult period of cuts. And so we implemented a program called Every Dollar Counts, where we literally went out to the field and said, send us all your ideas on how to reduce money, how to be more efficient. And I got to tell you, it was, uh, I was heartened to see the, the just sheer outpouring of ideas from folks in the field who, who always thought, you know, there were things we can do better, but didn't feel like they had an avenue to, to express those. So to give an example, I remember we opened the spigot for 30 days of ideas on one May, and I was worried that we wouldn't get any. On one May, we got 1,200 suggestions. By around mid-May or so, we had 17,000. And so we had to set up a almost a war room-like um, uh, activity to just go through them all. And it was just amazing to me to connect with folks right in the field, to give them, uh, you know, to, to, to implement their ideas and to recognize them for that. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, there was a group over at Andrews, which was close to the Pentagon, that their commander called me because they went right to their commander and they said, we've been making these suggestions for years and the folks in the Pentagon keep turning it down. So they didn't want to go through the system. They wanted to come right to me. 
And to make a long story short, uh, at Andrews, when, uh, you know, high rollers come into the base, they used to pick them up with these really expensive lease cars. And they came to me and said, look, we have a cheaper model car that will do the same thing. But because these folks are DBs, we're paying the, an expensive lease cost. And we think that's a waste of money. Now, again, these weren't bad people. You know, Andrews is a, uh, obviously in the nation's capital. There's a lot of uh, DVs that go through there. So this wasn't some intentional, you know, I'm going to go waste some money. It was just they were all trying to put their best foot forward. At, but, you know, we were in a period of time where we couldn't afford that. Uh, and so um, I, I approved it on the spot. And so I went over to Andrews to give these, it was three of them, to give them a coin and congratulate them. And when I was there, I said, hey, I'm just curious, how much are we saving on the lease? You know, because we're now leasing the cheaper model. And they said, no, you don't understand. We own the other cars. So, so you're telling me we own cars that we aren't using and we're leasing cars just because we want to we look good in the shower, so to speak? And they said, yes. So that sort of thing, both big and small, happened all across the Air Force, whether it was uh, things like that or re-engineering airplanes to make them more efficient. It, it was just, uh, for me, uh, it, it was, I, I was just as happy as, as you could, uh, I could be because uh, we went, it was just amazing the amount of money we were able to save. So again, I wouldn't call that my crowning achievement, but it was certainly something I was very proud of as we all worked together. Thank you for tuning into the Finer Life Show. Listen, if you want to find us on the web, please check us out at www.mbphikings2017.org. That is www.mbphikings2017.org.